Hello and welcome to Raw Fork Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, or just Dr. Book for short. I'm a community pharmacist and an herbalist dedicated to serving my clients in the best way that I know how. I'm bringing you this podcast to share with you like-minded pharmacists and herbalists that want to work alongside each other and share similar visions for patient care. Please enjoy the show. Hello again, my lovely listeners, and thank you so much for your interest in these incredibly inspiring stories that I have the honor of facilitating. If you like the show, please share it with a friend that you feel would benefit from any aspect of it. Also, please rate and subscribe to the show, which will help others find it and tune in as well. Today's episode covers something that is becoming more and more prevalent, especially in the herbal community and especially among people who spend time in nature. I'll be interviewing Dr. Christine Arsenault, a pharmacist who has a deeply personal connection to the chronic effects of Lyme disease. She's on a mission to help others with Lyme navigate their health and supporting them in following a treatment plan. Please tune into the show to hear about her healing journey and head to her website, LimeSupport.com, to learn more about her work. So, hello and welcome to the show, Dr. Christine Arsenault. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so in your own words, could you just tell us listeners something about your background, where you grew up, and how you came to be a pharmacist? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a military family. So my dad was in the army for 26 years. So we did a bunch of moving around when I was younger. And then uh, my mom's German. So I'm a dual citizen. And so I did most of my growing up in Germany. Um, I was lucky in that I stayed at the same place uh, from ages 10 to 18, which is kind of rare for the military. So I did all that growing up in Germany. So that's um, where I did most of it. And then I uh, left Germany and went to the States when I was 18 to start university. And um, I went right into pre-pharmacy. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. And so I graduated in uh, 2008. With um, at, I went through Ferris State University in Big Rapids and with my PharmD. Awesome. So what inspired you or what transpired in your life for you to kind of seek a more um, deeper, holistic, and integrative medicine approach after you finished pharmacy school? Yeah, so I kind of just started um, getting into food a little bit more, watching documentaries, kind of. I've always been pretty healthy and pretty into health and wellness, and ever since I was younger, I just cared about being healthy and, like, knowing the best foods to eat and that kind of thing. And so, and then growing up in Germany too, it's a little bit more open toward, you know, herbal products and holistic medicine in general. So I've always been pretty open, but it was, I kind of just started asking questions and digging deeper after pharmacy school. And I realized like how much was wrong with our, our food system here. And then just thinking about the medical industry and how, you know, we're, we're kind of just masking symptoms, but we're not getting to the root cause. And um, yeah, I just, I started questioning things. And then I had my own uh, health journey as well, which made me kind of um, really question things even more. (laughs) 
and just really get inspired to do something different. So I had, um, let's see, it was probably about eight years ago or so, um, I had a miscarriage. And then um, if that wasn't hard enough, it basically, the fetal cells persisted in my body, uh, which is this rare form of cancer that can happen after a pregnancy. And so I ended up having to go to the uh, cancer center for treatments. And during that time, I was actually reading uh, Dr. Hyman's book, The Ultra Mind Solution, and it was all about toxins in the environment and and um, that kind of, that whole situation, like having to go through chemo and um, <clears throat> kind of just learning about toxins in the environment, that kind of thing, just really, um, I just felt like I had to do something. I had to to make a difference. And so um, at that point is when I kind of started getting into more natural pro um, projects here and there. I was doing some health coaching, some blogging. I started a natural skin care company. Um, I just wanted to make people aware because I was just, you know, I was sitting at the cancer center and there's people sitting there getting their chemo, eating McDonald's. There was, you know, the volunteer was coming around giving you like cookies and crackers. And I was just like, why is there not like an organic juice bar here? Like, why, like we could be doing so much better. And, and so that was kind of like the big spark for me um, where I just really felt like I might be able to make more of a difference going a different route than the traditional, you know, medical route, giving, giving medications for symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm sorry you went through that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I worked at a hospital at the time, and, you know, there was a lot of things I really enjoyed about working in a hospital, but my passion has always kind of been, you know, health and wellness, and um, so I just, sometimes I felt like, I mean, there's definitely a place for medications, and they definitely can help people, um, but sometimes I felt like we were kind of patching people up and sending them home, and then they would come back with the same thing, because they never addressed any underlying issues, and so I just thought... Um, for me, I was kind of just ready for a change. I wanted to to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. So did you get any formal training or how did you start uh, doing like the blogging and the health coaching? Was that all based on your experiences or were you going under some sort of training? Yeah, at that point, it was mostly based on my experiences. Um, I was working with a doctor that was, you know, more holistic minded and doing some health coaching with his patients. And so I had people kind of guiding me and I just, it was a lot of, you know, self-taught, you know, just mm -hmm. listening to podcasts, re reading things, you know, learning whatever I could. Um, and then uh, I decided well, then I was also, so I was still kind of having these weird health issues after, after all of that. Um, I, I ended up um, with meningitis and I was in the hospital. And um, at that point, it, it still, it was just like, I just had this feeling that there's something going on. And um, I asked the infectious disease doctor at the time if she would test me for Lyme disease and she refused and said there's no such thing as chronic Lyme disease. Right. Um, that was when I was in the hospital with meningitis, which is an acute condition. And I, um, yeah, so I just, I kind of thought there might be underlying things going on, but I, I couldn't really get any answers. And so after that, um, you know, I had to go home with a pick line and give myself medications for three weeks. And that, that just gave me some time to think, um, you know, I was resting and healing and, um, 
that's kind of when I decided I wanted to make a change and I wanted to move to California, um, which I had kind of been thinking about off and on. Um, and so I made that change. And so I, I changed not only, you know, states, but I also changed from a hospital setting to an integrative pharmacy. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I <clears throat> moved over and worked for a pharmacy that's, um, has a more integrative approach. So we sell, you know, supplements and natural makeup and, you know, it just, uh, there's more options for people that want more of an integrative approach, but mm -hmm. then we also do the conventional pharmacy things. We do compounding specialty meds as well. Um, are, are you still there? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually the manager there. Um, Very nice. so I, I do that in addition to my other project. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd love to hear all about your current projects too, but let's go back to the story. Yeah. So, so you moved there, you liked your new setting better. Yeah. And then that was kind of correlating again with the health issues. So after the meningitis, it took about a year after that, um, that I finally got the diagnosis of Lyme disease. Um, the doctor that I had been working with in Michigan was kind of pushing for me to get tested. And um, at that point, my health was... Uh, really, really bad. Um, I was kind of in denial about it, but like my fatigue was out of control. I was just really struggling. Um, a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of just, just kind of struggling to get through. I knew something was wrong, but I was kind of in denial. I didn't think I was really that sick. Um, but then I got, you know, the answer of Lyme disease. And so that was, um, a great, you know, a great start because I knew now what to focus on. And that was part of the reason I moved to California as well is there was just, um, there's a lot of really good Lyme, Lyme literate doctors in the Bay Area, um, which is where I wanted to be. So that was kind of um, part of the transition as well. So basically I, um, I continued working at that pharmacy and I pretty much spent about four years just healing myself, um, just getting better um, from the Lyme disease. I had multiple co-infections, uh, different bacteria and viruses and parasites and all kinds of things. So it was a long process and I had to kind of address all areas of my life. Wow. And um, so that's what led me to handle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it was a long process and then I kind of, actually kind of stepped back after that and just kind of took a break from the Lyme community. I kind of was like, it had, it had taken over so much of my life. I feel like, um, I'm pretty sure I contracted it when I was nine, when I got bit by a tick. So I think I was undiagnosed for about 20 years. Whoa. So it had really wreaked havoc on my body. And, um, I just kind of, I was, kind of just done with it. I didn't want to hear anything about Lyme disease. I was just like, so, so happy that I was better. And then I feel like it just kind of kept popping up in my life again and friends of friends and, you know, everybody kind of that knew my story would always ask me for advice. And then I just kind of got to a point where I was like, I have to do something. I, I know too much about this. I can help too many people. I have, you know, I have the story. I went through it. I know what it's like. Um, and I, I have that background in, in a medical field, so I can kind of help guide people through the system because um, especially with tick-borne diseases, a lot of people are just kind of jumping from doctor to doctor and not getting answers or being told it's in their head and they might not know where to turn. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's only, I think, more recently it's finally been recognized that it does have chronic sequelae, whereas before it was only thought to be acute. And like you said, people were just told that, you know, it's in their head and it can't be. There is no such thing. Yeah. So and I wonder, it's still controversial that if, if longer term symptoms even exist. Yeah. I think the official stance of the CDC finally changed. That's what I'm quoting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of doctors for sure may still not be functioning under that assumption. Yeah. Um, but what made you think of Lyme in the first place when you were diagnosed with meningitis? I wonder how that cropped up. Well, part of the history um, when they had been gathering was that I had picked off um, some ticks from my dog. Um, so that kind of came to mind. Um, and then I don't know, I just, because of all the other health things that I had went through, they were just so extreme. I just kind of thought like, there must be some underlying issue affecting my immune system or something. It just seems weird that a young, healthy person in their twenties would be like, I ended up, um, the meningitis, um, ended up being the, the chicken pox virus. And it's just like, you know, that doesn't usually come wow. out until you're older, you know, in the form of shingles, once your immune system is depressed because you're older. So I'm young and healthy. So I thought, um, so I just, I thought, you know, there might be something else going on underlying that's, that's making all these weird things happen to me. Right. And then the doctor that I had been working with, um, he was seeing more and more Lyme, Lyme patients and I was having like more and more people reach out to me and everybody was having these weird symptoms. And then, uh, that doctor ended up that his wife and, and some of their children had Lyme. And, um, so then I actually flew out before I realized that I had it myself, I flew out to San Diego um, to go to the ILADS conference, which is a big Lyme disease conference. Mm -hmm. um, and as I was sitting there, I was just like, huh, this sounds familiar. This sounds familiar. This sounds familiar. And it was after that, that I finally did the testing because um, the other doctor had kind of been, you know, trying to get me to do it. And I had kind of been in denial. And then after I sat at that conference, I was like, okay, something is going on and it might be this. Right. So how did you learn enough about it to kind of do self-treating and healing for the four years that you mentioned? Um, well, I had a lot of good practitioners along the way. Um, so, you know, I saw a functional medicine doctor who was Lyme literate, who actually, when I went to that conference, he was giving um, a talk at the conference and I sat in on it and I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to make him my doctor because I like him, <laughs> I trust him, he knows what he's talking about. And the, the talk was on gut issues and I had had so many gut issues my entire life. And so um, that's kind of where we started was getting my gut healthy enough to be able to deal with the die off and everything. Um, so basically with functional medicine, you're addressing the whole body. Um, so I had to address everything. There's not really, you know, one, one easy answer on what I did to get better. It was a long process of growth and discovery and you know, I, I used a lot of plant medicine. I was going through therapy. I did a lot of meditation, mindfulness. Um, so you kind of, kind of have to address everything. And I had a team, you know, I had my Lyme literate <clears throat> practitioner, and then I also was getting IV vitamin C infusions at a different clinic. And then I had a, a neuro chiropractor who was helping me. So, and then, you know, like massages and, and saunas and floating and, I was just kind of trying to do everything I could do to become healthy. 
Wow. So from all of those modalities that you mentioned, do you think that a couple stand out more as being more therapeutic to you? Or do you think it's highly individualized? Or what, what was your experience and conclusion? Yeah, so I think it's very individualized. So it's everybody's journey is different. And then the other big thing with Lyme disease that we don't always talk about is co-infections. So, you know, this tick, it feeds off of all these animals in the woods. Um, so it's not just picking up one bacteria, it's picking up multiple bacterias or viruses. So a lot of people have more than one infection going on. So like in addition to Lyme disease, I had Bartonella and Babesia wow. and then, you know, viruses and parasites as well. Um, so you have to kind of look at that symptom profile and see exactly what infections they have as well. So everybody's journey is different and everybody's, you know, <clears throat> the time from the time that they got bitten to diagnosed or if they even know that there's so many different factors. And then you have to kind of look at the host itself and how healthy the person is to begin with. And what we see is a lot of people that have, um, you know, genetic mutations that may affect their ability to detoxify, they seem to be more affected. Mm -hmm. um, so there's definitely not going to be one right answer for everybody. Um, for me, I think mindfulness was huge and just being aware of negative thought patterns and um, just really focusing on living in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And then um, there was a lot of uh, plant medicines that really helped me. I actually didn't do any antibiotics other than like when I was in the hospital, like here and there for a couple of days, but, um, I did all plants. <clears throat> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. And the mindfulness part is huge too, because sometimes it could be, you know, the parasite or the bacteria that's making you have a negative thought pattern. It's not only like your own inherent, maybe self doubt or confidence issues. It could be also a direct manifestation of what they're doing on your nervous system. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had bugs taking over my entire system. I had a lot of yeast issues too, and we know, like with candida, you crave sweets. The you know the bugs they make you crave it because they want you to feed them. So yeah, it's to a point you're. I guess everybody we have more bacterial cells than we do human cells. So everybody's really more bacteria than anything. But I felt for sure that I was just like I wasn't myself anymore. I was all these other things that had taken me over. Right. So what, do, what would you suggest to people that, um, you know, are thinking that this could be an issue that they're facing? Or do you think the diagnosis is more important? Or do you think treating the symptoms is more important? Like, what would you recommend a person focus on? Well, I, I feel like every step of the process is controversial with Lyme disease. <laughs> there, there's, there's different conflicting views on every step of the process. So it kind of depends what's most important to the patient. So if getting that diagnosis is really important and they just need that answer, you know, you could go that way, but the, there's issues with the testing and the testing might not be clear cut. It, you know, there's, there's a lot of room for false negatives. So, um, yeah, it's, there's um, the Barascano checklist, for example, is kind of a checklist of all these symptoms that are common with tick-borne infections. And so something like that could be an easy place to start um, where you don't have to spend a lot of money and time and testing. Um, but some people might not be comfortable with just a clinical diagnosis and they may need to see that. Um, other people, 
it just kind of depends on their journey. If they've talked to a bunch of people with Lyme disease and they're kind of just know that they have it and they don't want to spend the money toward the testing, they just want to spend it on the treatment, you know, that might be a better option. It's just, it's one of those things that's pretty personal. Some people just really like to have that documentation and to know what's wrong. Right. But like you said, it could be really difficult. So it's, it's a, between a rock and a hard place to start somewhere. Yeah. And it could, I mean, there are, there are clear cut cases. It can be, you know, easy to treat if you have a tick bite and you have the bullseye rash and you get, you know, treated right away. But what, what we know is that not everybody sees a tick. They're really small. They're, you know, they can be the size of a poppy seed. Um, So they might, you know, you might not even notice it. Um, then there's some data that that shows that even like fleas and mosquitoes and lice and other things could potentially transmit the bacteria as well. So it doesn't even have to be a tick. Mm-hmm. And then the bullseye rash, there's different numbers on how many, you know, what percent of, of patients experience that, but it's, you know, maybe 30% at best. So a lot of people don't get the rash. Um, so it, it gets tricky because it's not really clear cut. But if you if you find a tick and you save the tick and you test the tick and you get the bullseye rash and everything is perfect and you start your antibiotics right away, then yeah, it, it could be not a very difficult road. But um, for a lot of people, it seems to be really a, a longer term treatment plan. Mm-hmm. So is there like a time limit to where the antibiotics would be optimally effective and after which you probably wouldn't even take antibiotics because it wouldn't help? Um, I don't know that there's actually been, you know, a number that a consensus on that at all. Um, and I think some, some physicians are just more likely to prescribe antibiotics and long-term antibiotics and IV antibiotics. And that's just kind of the way that they work. And other people tend to just use more natural modalities. Um, so I don't think there's really a consensus on that. But for me, I kind of, my thought was I've had this for so long and I don't know, it did such a good job hiding from my immune system. I had built up, you know, biofilms, the bacteria built up biofilms to kind of protect itself. So my immune system wouldn't recognize it. And I I know how good these bacteria are at evading antibiotics. And it just, it didn't make sense to me to, especially because I had 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 so many gut issues my whole life. Um, It didn't make sense to me to, to give myself something that could, you know, destroy my gut and then probably not really address the bacteria since they'd been there for so long. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But I've definitely, uh, what I learned from my teachers is that the acute forms, so like within maybe under a month or two months, are much better responding to antibiotics. And then you could build up your, you know, gut bacteria by eating soil-based probiotics. Some people just straight up eat soil, (laughs) you know, us herbalists. (laughs) And, uh, you know... That way they kind of destroy, they short term acutely destroyed the, you know, bacteria and all of that. And then they rebuild the gut because it's worth it. It's like a, you know, risk yeah. benefit analysis. But then after that acute form is over and it starts being into that chronic Lyme symptoms, after that, most people agree that, well, that I've talked to, that antibiotics are not as effective. So, you know, yeah. you could try it, but you might destroy the gut and not get the benefits of the antibiotic, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And I would agree that the sooner that, that you can start the antibiotics, the more likely that they'll be effective. Right. It's just, um, you know, like I said, sometimes it's hard to tell exactly where, 
um, the timeline is where the infection occurred. Yeah. You don't really know, and there, yeah, it, it's usually a pretty cloudy picture. So, are you a big advocate of prevention? Like, what are your tips for people that um, that are worried about like going outdoors and going into the woods? What should they be on the lookout for? Yeah, so definitely prevention is key. Um, if you can avoid the bite to begin with and not have to deal with anything, that would be, you know, best. Um, so I think tick checks are just the simplest thing that you can do is just look at your body after you're out hiking, look at your dog. Um, that's, you know, pretty simple, but also the way that you dress. So, you know, longer pants, tuck them into your shoes, mm -hmm. uh, lighter colors, you'll be able to see the ticks better. Um, you can use repellent. Um, I prefer like natural tick repellents that are out there. Um, and then, you know, in your yard, just kind of, they, they like to be in like wood debris and that kind of thing. So kind of moving wood piles away from areas where, you know, kids play and that kind of thing. Um, those are probably the big ones, usually showering right away. So, um, you know, changing as soon as you get home or, um, if you want to be extreme, you could even like change before you get in the car and keep the clothes totally separate. Um, <laughs> but um, if putting the clothes in the dryer as soon as you get home, the dryness will kill the ticks and then washing them after that um, and then showering right away. So those are all kind of easy yeah. things you can do. Great tips. So if you do locate a tick that's burrowed, what should you do? Um, so you should remove it right away. Um, use I use tweezers and I get, you know, as close to the head as I can and just pull up. So you don't want to twist. Uh, you just want to kind of pull up as gently as you can, get as close to the head as you can and try to get it all out. And then um, after that, it's kind of up to you, depending on, you know, if you live in an area where Lyme disease is common and you, you know, want to get, I recommend saving the tick, testing the tick. And then um, that's a little bit more exact than the tests that we use for Lyme disease because they're looking at your antibodies, not the bacteria itself. Um, so saving the tick and, and getting it. Um, and then if you, so, you know, some people want to get a, a preventative dose of an antibiotic right away. Um, other people might not want to go that route. They might want to wait to see if they have symptoms. So it's kind of um, dependent on the person. But if, if you live in an area where it's common, you might want to just consider taking the antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you want to save the tick, is it like uh, put it in a small Ziploc bag? Does that, is that okay? Or what? Uh, yep, yeah, that's fine. You can um, put, I've, I've heard of people putting them like in the fridge or the freezer. That seems to be fine. I wouldn't add like any alcohol or formaldehyde or anything like that, that might interfere with the tests, but um, yeah, just, you can just put them in a Ziploc bag. Um, if you put in like a moist paper towel or something, then um, that will keep the tick alive longer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then if you do want to just like kill the tick, what do you do? Do you just squash it or? Um, you know, I'm not really an expert on that, but from what I've what I've seen is that they're pretty indestructible and burning them might be the only way to really kill them. Yeah, that's what I heard as well. 
So uh, if you do have, if you just discover a bite, is there anything like topical that you should put on um, or is like an oral antibiotic your only bet of like trying to I, an infection? I mean, you, you could put just like some antibiotic ointment or something on. I don't think that's really going to do much. Um, so I, I, I don't think there's, um, you know, the, the oral antibiotics would be a, a better way to go if you really want to prevent any infection. Is there something that you would use uh, instead of an antibiotic? Like, I know you said you're a big proponent of plants. So is there like any high dose plants that you might uh, want to ingest to boost your immune response? Um, yeah, so there are different herbs that you can take. And I've I've looked to see if there's any data um, specifically for a tick bite. And I, I can't find any con concrete data or guidelines or anything to advise people. So, um, since I'm not an herbalist, I kind of, you know, don't, don't tell them exactly what to take. I, you know, I, I might give them some resources and some options of things that can kind of help boost your immune system, but I just have to let them know that there's not really any guidelines or any data that specifically says this will, you know, mm -hmm. prevent infection from a tick bite. I actually went to a lecture by some herbalists um, that specialize in Lyme in an herbal, you know, from an herbal perspective. So I could give you some names and some yeah. protocols that they recommend. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so in terms of the preventative sprays, are they usually essential oil based? And do you know which ones are really effective in terms of preventing tick bites in, in particular? Um, yeah, so there are some um they are i think they're all pretty much essential oil based and it's usually um a mixture of um let's see there's like lemon balm and um yeah i can't i can't think of all of um i think rosadrinium yeah. is one yeah exactly i've heard those, the lemon balm and the rosadrinium and then one that's really uh unique i guess to ticks is catnip essential oil okay yeah and that's like really difficult to find but that's what i hear is really effective in terms of warding off ticks okay so that's a little tip nice for people <laughs> so and then there's there's um natural repellents that you can get for your yard as well um so i know there's one called uh tick kills by a natural repellents company um, so yeah, there's things like that that you can get as well. Oh, that's awesome. So is it like a time release thing that you could put on for, you know, like a few weeks at a time or you just spray it every day or how does that work? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I, um, I haven't looked into it. I just, I know that they're out there, but I'm not sure yeah. exactly how. Oh. Yeah. That's a great tip, though, because I live in an apartment, so it's not really pertinent to me. But, you know, for people that live in houses, a lot of people get sprayed with like either mosquito or whatever chemical yeah. things. So this is a great um, option for them if they want to do it in a more natural way. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for little kids, you know, running around the grasses. Exactly. You don't I hope you don't want them to run around in chemicals and you'd want to opt for a more natural alternative yeah definitely. yeah so that's a great company i'll include that in the show notes um okay so tell us about those projects that you were mentioning that you have several businesses and like what your goals are for each of them and how you got into them yeah so well so now um my business is lime support so that's pretty much all that i'm doing um yeah, the, I'm not making the natural cosmetics anymore. I, I kind of stopped that when I 
moved to California because I was just so exhausted. I just couldn't do anything extra. Mm -hmm. And so after I had that time of healing and kind of that time of reflection, and then I was ready to like jump back into the Lyme world. So now it's like, I'm here and I'm back. And um, so I started a, a business called Lyme Support. And it's all about helping, you know, change the lives of people that have Lyme disease and whatever that means for them. So it's, it's very personalized. And um, so it's health coaching with a functional medicine approach. And then I also work with holistic hospitals um, that do Lyme protocols. So there's St. George Hospital in Germany and then Sanovive in Mexico. And they're doing some pretty cool things for people um, with Lyme disease, like whole body hyperthermia. And so uh, that's something that we can't do in the U.S. So I give I give patients education on on those kind of protocols in case that's something they're interested in. And then um, it just kind of depends what the patient needs. Sometimes they just need to find a Lyme literate doctor. They really um, are just getting started. They don't know where to turn. So they just kind of want somebody to talk to who's been through it. And then um, other times they they want the personalized health coaching. Um, they realize that Lyme disease is something you can't, you know, just heal from overnight. It's a process and it's going to take time and it's going to take a team. And so um, then it's personalized health coaching where you're really kind of honing in on on what they can do to, to optimize their life and to feel better. Mm -hmm. That sounds wonderful. How did you get those uh, relations with the two hospitals? Like, how did you learn about them? And do you just refer patients to them or is there some kind of back and forth that goes on? Yeah. Um, so I just refer patients and then it's, it's back and forth because they also will send um, patients to me that might want some additional support when they go home and just kind of know how, you know, just need some additional help and healing and, you know, maybe adhering to the diet that the doctors want them to adhere to or that kind of thing. So it's, it's kind of a back and forth relationship. Um, and I learned about them basically through friends. Um, I, I just, I know a lot of people in the Lyme community and I have a lot of friends that message me like, Oh, I have a friend with Lyme disease. You should talk to them. That, that kind of thing. And so, um, I just made the connection that way. I met, uh, two people who had done the hyperthermia themselves and it had changed their lives. And, um, so I really thought that that was an important thing to include in my business. Um, because it kind of, you know, the whole body hyperthermia, it, they warm your body temperature up, um, to 41.6 Celsius and what it does is it, it kills off the Borrelia bacteria and um, it also stimulates your immune system. So your immune system can, you know, really get in there and clean up all the debris and help you detox and and the heat um, kills the biofilms. And it also makes the antibiotics 16 times more effective when you give them in that environment. So there's wow. a lot. of Yeah. So there's a lot of really good uh, data there saying, you know, why hyperthermia is, is is good for Lyme patients, why it can kill this bacteria. And so a lot of people uh, find that it's kind of, especially if they've been sick for a while, it's an, it's just a easier way to really knock down your bacterial load so that then your body can kind of come in and take care of everything. And yeah, it just gets you to a place, um, a new level of wellness, basically. So for a lot of people, it's a good option. Wow. So is this helpful for chronic cases as well as acute or yes. do they have to go through some kind of pre-treatment and then start the hyperthermia treatments 
So they do pretreatment there at the hospitals. So basically for both of them, it's um, either a two or three week protocol and they mm-hmm. do the hypothermia twice during those two weeks. And um, that first week, they're basically getting you ready for it. So they are you know, building up your immune system, detoxing, giving you the nutrients that you need so that you're going to be able to tolerate it well and be, be detoxed for it and be able to handle it better. Wow, awesome. I know some herbal protocols that do the same thing, that they bring up your body temperature and for the same kind of, you know, yeah. effect. Um, and I know you mentioned that you went to like saunas or steam rooms. So uh, would, is the hyperthermia kind of similar or is it in a more controlled environment oh. where they measure your temperature? Oh, yeah, it's totally different. It's basically, it's like an ICU environment. They have... Um, like I'll just I'll give St. George as an example in Germany. They have four beds, um, you know, one one hyperthermia expert doctor um, who's there for those four patients. Each patient gets their own ICU trained nurse and they take two hours to warm you up to that temperature. Then they keep you there for about two hours and then they take two hours to take you down. They're continuously monitoring your vitals, your temperature the whole time. And, you know, they're right there with you. So they take it very seriously. Um, so yeah, it's not at all like, you know, just like a sauna. Um, it kind of looks like a tanning bed or something, but it's, it's a lot more high tech than that. Yeah. So my question is, okay, so the hyperthermia is quite different from the sauna approach, but would you think, or from your experience was, you know, infrared or regular high heat saunas, therapeutic as well? Like, would that be an option for people that can't go to these hospitals? Definitely. I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, it's definitely not equivalent, but um, saunas in general are great to help you detoxify, especially infrared saunas. So that's, um, that definitely helped me as well. And do you have to be there for long to get the benefit or what was your experience in that department? Um, as far as like infrared sauna? Yeah, like or, a session. Would it need to be a long session or? Um, no, I mean like 10, 15 minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, because infrared, you don't even feel that it's really even that heated. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah, it's not, it's not like a typical sauna. It doesn't feel super hot. It's pretty right. comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. That's good to know. So are these considered like alternative hospitals or are they conventional in these countries like Mexico and Germany? Yeah, so um, it's, I would say they're pretty conventional. So in Germany, um, they only have a certain amount of licenses to do the whole body hyperthermia. Um, But, you know, those licenses are given out um, by the state. So it's well accepted. And in Germany in general, um, you know, the holistic viewpoint, homeopathic products have been around forever. Those are accepted by everybody. Um, And they'll even do like um, the insurance will pay for you to go like to a spa, like to a health spa and take some downtime and relax. And, you know, they're just a lot more open to wellness in general. So it's well accepted. And um, Clinic St. George is known for cancer as well. So they've been around for a long time. They started um, by, you know, just focusing on cancer. And then they had a few patients that had cancer who also had Lyme disease. And their Lyme disease symptoms were exponentially better after the whole body hyperthermia. And so then they started looking into the data. And that's kind of how that all evolved. And then Sanaviv in Mexico, they are, um, you know, a fully certified hospital as well. 
and they are certified by the Institute of Functional Medicine. So they, I believe that's the only hospital in the world that's certified by the IFM. Wow, amazing. So yeah, that's really good about the insurance in terms of Germany's um, care. But uh, I would imagine that the Mexican and even like all the clinics and practitioners in America, they probably don't take insurance for any of the Lyme-based services. Yeah, so that's a tricky thing with Lyme. That's, um, you know, one one of the many, you know, tricky, controversial things with this disease. Um, if it doesn't, you know, the CDC guidelines, their definition for Lyme is more stringent um, than some of the other um, labs that are doing testing and things. So if you don't meet the definition, you won't get coverage. Then there's also this whole, you know, they don't really recognize long-term Lyme usually, so then they won't pay for anything. Um, and then also just functional medicine in general, a lot of practitioners just don't take insurance. And, um, you know, as somebody with Lyme, I don't think really, if you go to most practitioners that take insurance, I don't think you'll be able to get help um, the way that the medical system is. They, you know, may have 15 minutes for you. And anybody with Lyme knows that 15 minutes isn't even enough for you to tell your story. Yeah. Um, whereas the functional medicine approach, they really listen to you as a patient and they ask you, you know, when was the last time that you were well? When did you get sick? What else was happening in your life? They really kind of try to get to those root causes and try to see you as a whole. So it's it's a lot different approach. Um, insurance companies just haven't quite, you know, caught up to this model. And so that is challenging for people that aren't able to get coverage. But we do work um, with a company that is, they kind of specialize in submitting things to insurance for more holistic procedures. And so uh, for somebody that's going to Germany or going to Mexico, they can take a look at their insurance beforehand and kind of give them an idea on if they might be able to get anything reimbursed or not. Um, but it's always a risk. Um, I personally went to San Aviv last year and my insurance ended up paying for it fully, which oh, wow. I was um, shocked at. But um, so it, it does happen. But yeah, you just, you know, nothing at that point I was well, I've, I've been well from Lyme. So I wasn't going for Lyme protocols. I was going for, you know, just a physical and, and <clears throat> rejuvenation and detox and things like that. Um, so I think it's a little bit trickier if you have, you know, Lyme listed on your, your receipts that you're submitting to insurance. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good to know that things like this are happening. Yeah. Um, do you work with other functional medicine practitioners to order the labs and to take care of your patients? Or do you just like refer back and forth to get a whole uh, protocol together? Yeah. Um, so right now I don't officially work with any functional medicine um, practitioners. I, I really am working more as a health coach than a pharmacist. So I'm really not ordering the labs and that kind of thing. I'm kind of just working with people who are already working with practitioners and just need some help implementing things and making those changes in their lives. Um, but I'm, I'm open to it, to maybe partnering with a clinic. Um, I, yeah, I definitely will be reaching out to, to more physicians this year, just, um, you know, at least keep that relationship open for referrals back and forth and then kind of see um, if anything comes of that. Um, right now, I'm actually doing a functional medicine um, coaching academy certification for uh, to become a functional medicine health coach. 
So my, my focus is really more on coaching than, than being a pharmacist, um, because I'm finding like the, the coaching role, you're really an ally and you're just kind of walking beside them along their journey. And then, um, as the expert role, you're kind of just telling them what to do and, we know that that doesn't always work. You, you tell somebody to take their medications, they don't go home and do it um, all the time. Or you tell them to change their diet, they don't actually do it. Um, they kind of need somebody to hold their hand, need somebody to guide them. And so I, I just feel like I can have um, a, a more, a bigger impact when I'm working as a coach versus the expert approach. Uh, you have a special interest in the plant cannabis. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your work with it. Yeah, so um, that that's a big area of interest for me is cannabis, and that's because I've I've seen it help a lot of people, um, and especially for Lyme symptoms because it it can help so many things. So you know the endocannabinoid system is throughout the body, and um, it affects so many things. So um, Lyme disease and also cancer is a big one. You know um, I've seen if somebody's going through chemo or something, you can prescribe them, you know, medications to improve their appetite and medications for nausea and, you know, like all these other, all these things where you can give them cannabis and it can kind of help with all of it. And so, um, I've always just been kind of intrigued by it. So I did some certifications at Oaksterdam university, uh, which is here in Oakland and that's America's first cannabis college. And um, I learned a lot about the plant and um, not just from a medical perspective, but also like how, how to grow it and how to start a business in that industry and that kind of thing. And then I've done additional certifications, um, you know, CE for medical professionals with cannabis. And um, I just find that it, it helps a lot of people and um, it's just more natural way to do it than with pharmaceuticals. So I'm a big proponent. So which form of the plant would you recommend? Do you do like extract of CBD only? Do you do equal parts THC CBD? And do you do tincture, capsule, you know, all the dosage forms that are available out there? Like what are your favorite ones to go by? So again, the answer is it depends. <laughs> it's always, um, you know, my work is very client centered. So it always depends on the person and what they want. So I start usually getting by getting a feel of, uh, how they feel toward THC. So CBD is the, the part that everybody knows that has the health benefits. And then THC is the part that gets you high, uh, which I don't really like to break it down that way because THC also has a lot of medical benefits. And then I also think there are a lot of benefits of getting that high and getting a different perspective on life. Um, so I don't like to demonize that part, but everybody has a different comfort level. So some people don't mind the high, other people are really scared of it, want to avoid it completely. So it depends on their comfort with the THC. I do think that whole plant products are, are better than extracts um, for most cases. Now, if you have, um, you know, if you have a child with ep epilepsy and they need a certain dose of CBD, you know, that then that's different. Um, so there are times when extracts might make more sense. But in general, with plant medicine, um, if you have the whole plant, we have, we know that there's over 100 cannabinoids in cannabis, and we don't even know what they all are, but there's synergy between them. So if we're gonna just, you know, find one or two ingredients that we know and take those out, um, we may be losing effect of all these other ingredients that we don't even know about and how they work together. 
And so if you look at dose response curves, if you use a whole plant, um, people tend to get a response quicker and um, it kind of lasts longer. Whereas with an extract, it's kind of a more narrow therapeutic um, you know, window, it kind of drops off and you have to find that optimal dose. So I prefer whole plants, um, some THC, um, because I don't think we need to take it out completely. I think it works better with all the parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it just depends if somebody doesn't want the high, then I usually go with like a 20 to one, uh, CBD to THC. Um, usually tinctures of some kind are, are good for a lot of people. Um, you know, some people like to smoke and it, that gives them a quick onset. I'm not opposed to that. Um, some people just want topical for aches and pains and things like that. Um, so it kind of just depends what, what we're treating. Awesome. Thank you so much. I agree with everything that you said. (laughs) All right. So we're coming to the end of the interview now. And if you don't mind, I have just a couple more rapid fire questions. Sure. Sure. So uh, first of all, what are your plans for the future with your business? So this year is all about growth. Uh, Last year was all about setting up and really, you know, finding my structure and my vision and getting things just how I wanted. This year's all about growth and collaboration and I'm hoping for speaking engagements and projects and collaborations and things like that. Just getting, getting more exposure. I think there's so many people that need help and they just need to know that there's companies like me out here that can help them. Awesome. Well, best of luck for all of that to happen (laughs) Um, in the near future. So second of all, what is your advice for other students, um, pharmacy or otherwise, that are interested in pursuing this kind of more integrative or holistic approach to health? Yeah, Um, I would say just you start by learning. Just um, it's okay to be self-taught. It's okay. You know, we already have our doctorate or at least um, everybody graduating now does. Uh, we already know a lot in this field. We already help people. Um, We already talk to people every day. So learn what you can as you go. Um, And even if it's, you know, just learning that statins deplete coenzyme Q10. So recommend, you know, counseling patients on that. Take some, Q, you know, CoQ10 with your statin. Anything that you can do. Um, And then if there's an area that particularly interests you, seeing if there's any local groups that you can join. Um, And then, yeah, it just kind of depends. Um, Like I'm part of the International um, Cannabis Society for Pharmacists. Uh, There's functional medicine pharmacist groups out there. You know, there's there's different um, networking opportunities that you can do and events that you can go to to start the learning process. Awesome. What's the number one thing that listeners can do right now to improve their quality of life? Ooh, um, I would say that's going to be so different for everybody, but I would say, um, maybe meditation, meditate for three minutes a day. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, um, my guests have said that. So something worth trying people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, what's a favorite pastime or hobby of yours? I love hiking with my dog, anything outside with my dog, really. Um, lately, we've been going to the beach a lot. Um, less less ticks at the beach than, <laughs> than when we go for hikes through the Redwoods. So, yeah, we go on the beach a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's, you know, I commend you for that, for saying that even though you have suffered, you know, the 
the effects of there being ticks and all these things in the wildlife and the forest, but you still don't let it scare you from going outdoors. So oh yeah, no fear. That's that's the other secret is you can't have fear. Like you have to, um, like for me, it was a there's a big spiritual component of healing too, and energetic component, and so you have to kind of put those energetic barriers up and have no fear and just go out and yeah, have have no fear. <laughs> I love that. Okay, and lastly, what's your favorite beverage that you like to drink? Um, well, right now I'm drinking coffee. I, I love coffee. Um, I have some MCT oil and some butter in it. Scratch mm. my butt. So that's, that's my favorite right now. Bulletproof <laughs> style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a bulletproof brand that I use for my coffee. Yep. Oh, cool. So uh, how can people reach you, Christine? How can they find out more about your work and reach your website and just learn more about you? Yeah, uh, limesupport.com. That, that'll probably give you everything that you need to know. Um, that's my company, and you can contact me through that website. I'm also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, so both as Lime Support and then Christine Arsenault. So you can find me on any of those as well. Awesome. Well, I'll have all that info in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending the time to come and talk to us today about this very important topic. Yes. And good luck and best of luck for everything that you mentioned today. Thank you. And thank you so much for having this podcast and spreading this knowledge. I, I think uh, this is really needed in our profession. So I really thank you for that. Yes. I, you know, I also just do it from my own interest and just to spread the word that it's possible to change our profession because I find it to be kind of limiting in the roles that we have but it is possible to expand exactly yeah and and just do go for it and do whatever you want to do yeah yeah the possibilities are endless you just have to know that exactly all right well thank you and enjoy the rest of your day all right you too thank you as always, please send any questions, inquiries, requests to me. My email is marina at rawfork.com or just go on my website, rawfork.com. Leave me a note there. Thank you and have a great week ahead.